Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we recap a 23-20 loss to the Houston Texans. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. David James, it's Grico. Well, we knew coming into this game it was going to be kind of tough on our offense, being down two big wide receivers and having to have our backups pretty much step up was going to be some issues. I think we saw a lot of issues in the timing. Um, and so, you know, kind of made it for a rough game. But our defense came out there and played very, very well. Um, down the stretch, down the game, I think our, you know, backup receivers played pretty well. Pretty well. I mean, we lost by three, and we had a chance to, uh, to win. I mean, what, four or five turnovers? And you still got a chance to win? Mm, I don't know. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. But I don't think this game is going to decide James's fate whatsoever. Some people are already sullied on him. The ones that are hate are still hating. So that's just going to happen. Anyway, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Go Bucks. What's up, guys? This is Matt from Morbin, Georgia. Well, you know, that was a tough loss. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I thought it was going to be a difficult game without... You know, Mike and Chris in there, but, you know, Perryman, Perryman gave it a good effort. Uh, I, you know, he laid out for some balls. Is it, you know, he didn't do that kind of stuff at the beginning of the year. And I think he's starting to have a reawakening as an NFL receiver. Uh, I, I, you know, honestly, I feel like that was the best game this defense has had. I, I was watching it at a bar in Valdosta. You know, I, I was proud to claim that defense in that game. Um, you know, I don't know that anyone in particular really stood out, but just as as a whole, the defense was solid. Um, you know, Jameis kind of reverted back to the Jameis ways, but you know, how many how many other teams could you know have four turnovers and still be you know in the game like like uh, like we were, but. Anyway, you know, disappointing loss, but all in all, I think we got some pieces in place. We need to get the right people signed and come back strong next year. But uh, anyway, go Bucks! What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Today's episode brought to you in part by Breaking Tea. If you are looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to BreakingTea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams, passion, moments. Great for all fans. Go to BreakingTea.com slash locked on. Then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. Unfortunately, for the first time in over a month, we are discussing a Tampa Bay Buccaneers loss here on a Monday episode of Locked on Bucks. It was a 23-20 to 20 loss to the Houston Texans. And David, I think you said it best in our, uh, in our little group chat that I was checking in with periodically. Uh, again, I did not get to watch the game live. I did, however, get to listen to the game because I was in a car for like, three hours driving my son to Ohio university to play hockey games. Um, and you had said 
that the Buccaneers were outplaying the Texans. Despite what the score said, the Bucs were outplaying the Texans. And that's what it sounded like to me. It sounded like the defense was playing a great game and it was just the Buccaneers continuously shooting themselves in the foot the way we've seen over the past couple of seasons. But they still had an opportunity to win the game, much like the, the game against the Panthers in London. You know, just one turnover too many, which is amazing to say when they ended up with five on the day. Um, you know, they could have won that game giving the ball to the Texans four different times, twice in the first two possessions. Yeah, they really were. I mean, they they were as I was writing it in uh the Bucks Nation group chat there on Twitter, actually, Nate Burleson said it on on the broadcast. He even said, you know, I know this isn't gonna be a popular popular opinion, but the Buccaneers look like the better team so far despite two interceptions one of them being a pick six a blocked field goal uh i mean just just all the things that happened despite all that going on in the first quarter that the buccaneers actually looked like the better team and they did and that's you know that's just the, the god's honest truth i mean um there's no way you look at that that tape in that game and those two teams on the field and say that the texans were the better team on saturday in raymond james stadium you, you just can't and uh, as you know, and as our readers know over Bucks Nation, I spend my weekends in the opposing team's comment sections, and I was in the Texans' uh, comment section and listening. And they even said uh, at one point in time there was there was somebody who commented in the uh, in the Texans group chat there, the comment boards there, that if the Texans had done what the Buccaneers did to start this game, that they'd be getting blown out of the stadium. That it wouldn't even be there would be zero chance that this that Texans team would be in this game the way that that team was playing. You have to remember, that's a Texans team that has Deshaun Watson. They have uh, DeAndre Hopkins. They had Will Fuller. I know he left the game or whatever. They have Kenny Stills. Like, that's an offense that's got some weapons themselves and a defense that, you know, they're not the greatest defense in the world, but they've at least got them in the playoff hunt. So for a fan base to say, you know, again, because pregame, this is all jokes. It was all laughs and jokes and, oh, here we go. Let's go take it, you know, take this win and get the division title and da 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 And as the game was going on, I mean, there were, of course, your Jameis jokes. Those are going to happen every weekend. But I will tell you oh, yeah. that the team itself, the team as a whole, not Jameis Winston, but the Buccaneers as a whole, they gained a little bit of respect among te- Texans fans. And it kind of reminded me of going back to early last week, James, before the crossover, we had a voicemail from someone who said that the cross locked on Texans hosts we're kind of dismissing the Buccaneers like, ah, I'm not worried about the Buccaneers. Well, you should have been. And I'll tell you right now, if those two hosts, you know, were to come on the show right now, I bet you they'd be telling you that they're that the Texans are pretty fortunate to to leave Florida with a victory and that ASC championship in hand, although the Titans did lose, so they would have had it anyway. Um, but yeah, the Bu- the Bucks were the better team. They just, you know, we'll get into some other things later, but uh it just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is really unfortunate. And you go back and you look at some of the mistakes that were made. Obviously, you have the four interceptions. You have the fumble by Peyton Barber. You have a field goal attempt blocked, um, you know, by by Matt Gay, who was injured on the play, from what I understood from the radio broadcast. Um, you know, a, a couple bounces here, a couple bounces there. Cam Brate dropping a uh, a sure first down on fourth and three that would have gained uh, uh, quite a few yards. It wasn't going to be just kind of a a catch and that's it. I mean, he had some he had some space to run. Um, you know, all those things add up to what um, what ended up being a three point loss. So yeah, I I know moral victories are not a thing. They shouldn't be a thing, but 
you have to kind of appreciate how tough this team played, how well they played. They didn't roll over. They didn't give up after they were down 10 to nothing in the blink of an eye, down 17 to three with what, three minutes left in the half. And they Mm -hmm. go into halftime tied like that shows the resiliency and the resolve of this team. And I believe you have to credit the coaching staff for bringing that experience, bringing that mentality to the locker room and the players buying it. It does kind of sting. It does kind of suck that, you know, they had every opportunity in the world to beat this game and it wasn't the Texans that beat them. It was themselves, which I'm, I'm so sick of us having to talk about the Buccaneers beating themselves. But you know, in this, in this game, it's one, thousand percent true yeah and it just kind of goes back to to you know the the development of the team the development of a successful organization the buccaneers were in a position where you know coming before say the arizona game this team would defeat themselves week in week out whether it was an opponent they should beat whether it was an opponent they should lose against it didn't really matter honestly like i remember giving you know, this coaching staff and, and Jameis Winston specifically a little bit of crap earlier in the season where they kept saying, we're not worried about the other side of the field. We're not worried about them. We're not worried about them. We're not worried about them. And I got, I kept getting mad about that because I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, you have an opponent. You need to be worried about what your opponent is trying to do to you in order to be successful. But it's kind of dawned on me over the course of the season. They weren't worried about the opponent because they didn't have everything figured out themselves. And at the end of the day, if you don't have yourself figured out, you don't have the opportunity to go out and defeat somebody else and really put your mark and impose your will on anybody else. Because if you can't impose your will on your own team, how are you going to impose your will on somebody else's team? So eventually this team had to get to the point where they were all on the same page and they all understood what they needed to do. And we saw that eventually happen. Um, and then we got to the point where it was, okay, this team can win the winnable games. The games they should win, the teams they should beat, they are doing that. And, and we talked about this on the show. The next step is not beating teams you shouldn't beat. A lot of people say that's the next step. Now go in and win games that you should lose. No. The next step is winning games that you could lose. Equal or slightly better competition is basically what I'm talking about. And when I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I look at the Houston Texans, while the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the better team on Saturday, I look at them side by side and I say that's an equal or one of them is slightly better than the other one as far as where they're as a team right now, as a total body of work. So that's a game that you could lose, a game that you could win. Really, if you come in and win, everybody will say, okay, yeah, I can see the Bucs winning that game. If you go in and lose, everybody can say, okay, I can see the Bucs losing that game. Those, that's the next step is winning those games. And that's where uh, you, you look at teams like the, like the Green Bay Packers. Like Aaron Rodgers has been really good over his career. And I know they've had a couple of down seasons, but he's been really good in his career in getting that team and getting the Packers to win those games that they could lose while continuing to beat the teams they should beat. And then every once in a while you beat a team you should lose to, and that's how you make your dynasty happen. Drew Brees. I mean, the Saints defense, uh, up until earlier this year, the Saints defense has really kind of been a joke. And even now, I mean, one of their starting cornerbacks is so good that the Saints went ahead and picked up a veteran who got cut from the New York Giants because he doesn't know how to behave on social media. That's how great the Saints defense is. Yet you see this team beating the teams they should, winning teams or winning games they could lose, and then they win a couple here and there that they probably should lose uh, based off the greatness of guys like Drew Brees and all that. And that's how you make good teams. This team isn't here yet. That's what that game tells us. The Buccaneers as a whole, we'll get into the weeds of why, but the Buccaneers as a whole are not to the point yet where they can win 
consistently the games they could lose. That's the next step. That's where they're moving towards with one more week to go. And that's where they're going to hopefully pick up with next year uh, come training camp, mini camp, and all that stuff. Because if this team regresses over the offseason and has to start back to learning how to win games they uh, should win, then it's just going to kind of hinder the growth of everything that's going on uh, right now in 2019. Well, David, let's let's talk about some of the highlights of the game. And let's start with Brashad Perryman. Okay, Perryman was given basically an impossible task. Hey, guess what? You have to be the team's number one receiver this week. And Perryman's response was having over 100 yards receiving, meaning in back-to-back weeks, for the first time in his NFL career, Brashad Perryman went over 100 yards receiving. Yeah, and he should have had more. Yeah, he he should have. <clears throat> and um you know, we're we're going to get to a uh, particular play about Brashad Perryman a little bit later. But is again, this is a guy that Bucks fans wanted off the team for the sake of getting a compensatory draft pick. Mhm. Has Brashad Perryman played his way onto the 2020 Bucks roster? Absolutely. And Brashad Perryman wasn't just wanted off the team by Bucks fans. He was wanted off the team by everybody. I mean, uh, I won't quote you, but I know I wanted him off the team. I wanted that compensatory draft pick back, and I said he's not doing crap. So they, I remember having this specific conversation of, you don't have a number three wide receiver. you got to go find one. And the guy who's on your roster right now ain't it. So get rid of him so maybe you can draft one next year with that pick that you get back for him. Like, I will fully admit that. Um, Greg Amon, I, I saw on Twitter leading up to kind of that deadline. I mean, I don't think Greg will ever get to the point where he just comes out on Twitter and says, the Bucks need to get rid of this guy. But he got about as close as he ever will, I think, on social media. I mean, he literally, this isn't a, this is paraphrasing, but basically the Bucks can get back a compensatory, compensatory draft pick, which would either be a third or a fourth round draft pick if they get rid of Brashad Perry and by this date and time, da 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 I don't see right now why they wouldn't do that. That's as close as Greg Almond, I think, is ever going to get to saying the Bucks need to cut this dude. You know what I'm saying? And he did it. The Pewter Nation guys, the Pewter Report guys, I know for a fact they did it. I don't know. I guess I can't say for everybody. You know what I mean? But the people that I pay attention to, I know that they we all wanted him gone. You know what I mean? And I kind of feel bad. For like I almost wish I could go back to Tampa because I was, I was there uh, talking with him one night. And I wish I could go back and apologize to him. You know what I mean? Because that dude has stepped up. Uh, in a in a really big way, and I kind of look at you know obviously the coaches know more than we do anyway, but yeah, I mean if Rashad Perryman doesn't come back in 2020, I will be disappointed. I will be upset. The problem is everybody else in the league sees what he's doing right now too. You know what I mean? And Perryman is still young enough, and everybody loves a nice good resurrection of your career story. So I mean. I don't know. Like, I don't know how much he's in love with Tampa. I don't know how much he's in love with Jameis and the coaching staff. And every, like, maybe him and Shaq are kind of on the same page as far as being in Tampa. Um, hopefully, Brashad wants to stay. We'll find out. You know what I mean? But yeah, I would love to see the way that Brashad is playing right now. I would love to see Brashad Perryman back in 2020. Yeah. And, and another positive to point out is this defense. It has been a long time, David, since we've been able to talk about how good a Buccaneers defense is, but this defense has gotten it together and yeah. they've gotten it together quickly. Yeah. All, all three levels. They are really just playing tremendous football right now. And it, 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 
makes you hope and pray that they can bring back Sue. They can bring back Jason Pierre-Paul. They can bring back Shaq Barrett. I know Bruce Arian says that he's not going anywhere, but at the end of the day, you know, Shaq Barrett, until he signs a contract, there is the chance that he will go somewhere else. So the Bucs have to do any and everything they can to keep this group of players together. You don't have to worry about the secondary right now because they're all in their rookie contracts and they're coming together and playing some of the best football we've seen out of a Buccaneer secondary in 15 years. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous how well they're playing, but you have these key contributors that are pending free agents that have to get locked up. The Buccaneers have to do some financial gymnastics this offseason to make sure that they're they have a quarterback, whether that's Jameis or or not, to make sure that they keep Chris Godwin, keep Barrett, keep JPP, keep Sue. You know, all these things add up. Yeah, the Bucs have a lot of cap space. But that cap space is going to disappear with the quickness, with their own players. And you still have at least one offensive lineman that you're going to have to replace. You know, there's, it's going to be an interesting offseason, but you have got to do any and everything you can to keep this defense together. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, uh, this is, it's, it's kind of a hot take, man. But like, and I said this on, I was on the Peter cast uh, last week before the game. And I said it there too. Like when we and you and I had talked about this, that we pretty much all the way up to the trade deadline were basically waiting for the other shoe to drop. And for the moment they brought in a veteran, you know, what I mean, through the offseason, we're waiting for them to sign a veteran. They didn't. Training camp, you know, we're waiting like who's getting cut and who's getting waived and all that stuff. That never happened. Training deadline, you know, are they going to trade for a guy like Pat P or something like that? It never happened. And we're we're all just sitting here kind of scratching our head. You're like, my like Vernon Hargraves is your veteran. That's really the crew you're going to roll forward with. And then they cut or wave Vernon Hargraves and say, okay, well, now your veteran is Carlton Davis. You know what I mean? Um, and and not for nothing, but coming into the season, Carlton Davis has exactly one year of NFL experience more than I do. That's not good. Um, I mean, he's just young. But honestly, man, like I'm good. With, with the secondary as is for the most part, I am good right now. Like they don't even necessarily have to go out and try to lock down a veteran free agent. I mean, it would be nice to see them do it. You know, there's still words on uh, rumors on the wind that like Darius Slay is going to be available uh, this offseason in a trade. You know, if you trade him and extend him, you can push some of that that cap hit down the road a little bit and make him cheaper. You know, up front and on all that stuff. I would be down for that. But I mean, do you really need it? And and at this point, you almost kind of wonder. Okay, if you bring in a veteran who doesn't know the system, didn't grow with these guys. He's going to want to come in and be a leader. You bring in a, f- a fifth or sixth year player in the offseason, they're going to want to be the leader in that defensive backs room. Here's the problem. They didn't go through all the crap. They didn't go through the crucible that this that this secondary group just went through in the 2019 season. So are they really going to mesh? Is that like you could actually cause more problems than anything, but if you draft some guys to come in that have some raw athletic ability to kind of get on the in the, in the in the picture, guys like Carl and David Sean Murphy, Bunny Jamel Dean like they're all like they're the the extremely young elder statesmen, but man, you know, uh, they, everybody talked about it in the offseason. This team drafted for leadership. Like every single player they drafted was known on their team for being a leader, not just a playmaker and athlete for being a leader. And I think it's showing. Like the the maturity of this secondary group is showing, and it's impressive, man. And hats up to Todd Bowles. That dude has done a great job. 
And I'll tell you, before we worry about Dominican Sue, before we worry about Carl Nassib, you know, whether JPP is going to get, you know, retained or if he's going to be let go, we might want to be concerned about Todd Bowles staying because that's the man working all the magic. And if he leaves, who knows what will happen? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair point. And, and people started talking about it early in the season as to whether or not, you know, it was going to be a one and done for Todd Bowles, how how heavily he would be sought as as a head coaching option for, you know, for other teams who were going to have these vacancies. Uh, <clears throat> spoiler alert, the Cowboys are going to be an open position after they um, after they just lost to the Eagles. And uh, now the Eagles are in the driver's seat for Yikes. the NFC. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, taking a look at, you know, my David, you know what my favorite football website is. What is it? It's Pro Football Focus. Absolutely. Uh, taking a look at something that Pro Football Focus put out. And again, that was that was a joke. But the, these aren't grades. These are like hard statistics. OK, PFF puts out some great stuff in terms of like actual statistics, not their weird grading system that has no rhyme or reason and you know rated oj howard the worst first round rookie in his class yeah. even oh their database is great yeah and whether you agree with their grading system or not their their database is, is amazing so forced incompletion percentage in 2019 among all nfl corners number one jamel dean 32.6% forced incompletion percentage. And that's including what happened in Seattle. Number four, Carlton Davis, 21.1%. So two of the top five corners in the NFL at forcing incompletions are a first and a second year guy in the Bucks secondary. There's a bright future there. There's a real bright future there. Yeah, and, and as much as it, it's the the players, and don't get me wrong, it is a lot on the players, but it's just as much, if not maybe a little bit more, on Todd Bowles. And I mean, uh, think about it, man. I mean, just look at how young this the secondary is. You know, everybody has talked about it time and time again. Cornerback is you know probably the second hardest position to transition out of college into the NFL. And then you look at it, the team was without their strong safety this this week for the first time since he you know since he got hurt. Um, they don't have a, a starting free safety like that's Again, there's a reason that I mean, Andrew Adams, I think, is is playing the majority of the snaps. I haven't checked the snaps for this week yet, but um, I think Andrew Adams, if you had to call a starter, a starter is him. But basically he and Mike Edwards essentially kind of dual hat that whole that position there. I mean, when you don't even have the back end of your secondary secure and you're facing an offense again that has DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Kenny Stills like. That's impressive, and and I know the front seven has has some stuff to do with that too. But there were times where Deshaun Watson had time in the pocket. There were moments where he had the ability to scan the field and go through his progressions, and there was just nothing downfield, you know. And and that is a really big testament to what Todd Bowles been able to do with that that young group of guys. So, um, really hoping to say, I think the the biggest benefit, I think the real the biggest advantage the Buccaneers have in retaining Todd Bowles and keeping him is the fact that Todd has already been a head coach. Like a lot of these head coaches, 
they basically they go out and they interview for any job that's open and they take whatever the, you know whoever offers first. So I'm taking that job because I want to be a head coach. That's the pinnacle of my career. That's the pinnacle of my profession. I want to do it. I want to be a head coach. Todd's done it. And I mean, I don't know the man, you know what I mean, but I don't know. He he didn't seem a whole you know too heartbroken to to not be doing it anymore. Um, and he's got a really good thing going. I think he knows he's got a really good thing going. I think there's a possibility that he becomes the head coach after Bruce Arians retires again. Exactly um, what I was about to say. Yeah, if he wants it. But he has the the ability to be picky. You know, like um, you look you look across the NFL, like the Washington Redskins. Like after you what mean Todd Bowles, the Washington Urban Myers. Yeah, after what Todd Bowles went through in New York City, like he's not going to want to go. He's not going to work for Dan Snyder. You look at the Dallas Cowboys, and I understand it's America's team. Yada yada yada. Do you, like would you want to work for Jerry Jones? I wouldn't want to work for Jerry Jones. Oh God. Um, you know what I mean? So like, he has this ability. I mean, the Bengals aren't firing their guy. The Dolphins aren't firing their guy. Like Bill Belichick, maybe he retires. I don't know. But um, not even Matt Patricia is getting fired. Like yeah, Matt really? Patricia is not getting fired. Carolina. I mean, Todd Bowles. Like, does Todd Bowles want to go to another team whose defense is aging and declining at the same time, which is the perfect combination for a defense? So you're aging and declining and your star quarterback is injured. The backup who looked for a minute to be like the savior is no longer the savior. And so basically all you have is a running back turned receiver in Curtis Samuel, a wide receiver who's going to finish the the season uh, with a concussion in DJ Moore, and a really awesome running back going into what the third season, fourth season of his career when running backs average five to eight years shelf life. So you've got about two years of peak Christian McCaffrey to get all that put together. Nah, man. Nah, nah. No, that is not a sexy job, uh, you know, to no. to apply for or maybe post Drew Brees and Sean Payton, New Orleans. Like, who wants to do that? You know what I mean? So I don't know. Like, to me, I think Tampa's looking pretty cozy for Todd Bowles right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a culture and a, a system that he's helping to build and develop. And I mean, four more seasons from now, yeah, if, if Bruce coaches all all five years of his contract and this team's on the rise and they're they're hot and Bruce says okay I've come in I've done my job it's time to hand the reins over to Todd Bowles that's a coach that the players are going to trust they're going to believe in and they're not going to suffer any setbacks from having to learn a completely new system from a completely new head coach. Chances are he would retain Byron Leftwich. If Leftwich is still the offense coordinator, there's still that that cohesion and that um uh what is the continuity between right. the the regime changes that you know that's what the Bucks thought they were getting when they fired Lovey and kept Dirk. Yep. You know, and and it turned out not to be that way. But yeah, that's um yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, but a lot can change between now and then. So, David, uh, I know we have a lot to cover in this episode. We have voicemails that we need to get to. It's probably going to be an extra long one because, quite honestly, guys, we're not coming at you five days this week. It's Christmas week. We're busy with family stuff. We want to enjoy the holidays and everything. So, spoiler alert, uh, yeah, not getting a Christmas Day episode. Sorry. Not that you guys would probably listen to us on Christmas Day anyway. But yeah, I mean, we have we have our own stuff going on. I'm, I'm sure you all appreciate and respect that. But for now, David, let's go ahead and jump over to the first voicemail. I believe we have a question about the um, craptastic zebras. 
Hey guys, it's Leighton in Tampa. Really quick, um, disappointing loss, um, but everyone's going to pile on Jameis, which, okay, yes, he threw interceptions, but I will always say that is a, a team sport, and unfortunately, it's not just the teams on the field that seem to impact games, especially when at least three, maybe four long calls um, by the officiating crew this game that happened in what I would say would be pivotal points of the game. So that's my take on it. Frustrated, as we've all been this year with the officiating. To me, this is like the worst year I've seen of officiating. Um, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, go Bucks. Have a good one, guys. All right, Leighton, thank you very much for the phone call. Always appreciate hearing from you. Yeah, he is a uh he's a locked on bucks lifer and and we appreciate him. Um here's what I will say about the officiating. Oh my god, they suck. Uh they're not good. Um and David, I wanted to ask you because listening to a hometown broadcast on the radio, you're going to get the homerisms. You're going to get announcers and color analysts and sideline reporters that are employed by the team. So it's going to be a little one-sided. But they were they were ripping into the refs really bad all day long. And I wanted to ask, since you actually watched the game, Right. Was it really as bad as they were making it out to be? I mean, I, I wasn't listening to the broadcast, obviously, but I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty gross, man. Um, OK, but it's it's more of the same. Like, it's really nothing new. You know, uh, early on, there was a missed uh, face mask call, like what should have been a face mask that wasn't right in front of mask. the official. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's always misholding, holding penalties and all that. You know, there's pass interference or defensive hold, whatever they called it. On that that Bruce challenge, which I love Bruce challenging those, by the way. Um, for everybody who may not realize it by now, Bruce knows he's not going to win, guys. And I understand some of you are like, okay, but he's wasting timeouts and da, da da. I got it. But Bruce is the man in charge. Okay, he's the man with the red flag. If if you're ever the guy with the red flag, you're going to make the decisions you make, and you know, uh, may, may God go with you on that journey. I I love it to be quite honest. Like I absolutely love the fact that Bruce Arians is doing this because this is going to come back. Uh, later in the off season, it's going to come up in the owners meetings. It's going to come up in in the competition committee meetings. It's going to come up in in team. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the Buccaneers actually draft a proposal to the competition committee about this very process, the process of reviewing and confirming and overturning, you know, offensive defense pass interference because of how much Bruce is doing with it. Um, he's he knows putting he's not together gonna, like, a highlight reel. Of yeah. blown pass interference calls that were blatant pass interference that he then brought to the ref's attention, and they still said, "No, nah, man, it's okay that Garyon Conley tackled Brashad Perryman and he couldn't make that catch. That's not pass interference." Without even looking at the ball, like yeah, just oh, just disgusting. The biggest ones, though, the biggest ones, um, the the Darren Fells is that his name? Darren, I think it's Darren Fells. Yeah, Darren Fells, uh, Houston Texans tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, first quarter, Houston's second possession of the game fumbles the ball. I mean, it's it's in 
Houston territory, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely should have been a fumble was a clear recovery would have been, I, I mean, I haven't looked, you know, obviously all 22 is not out yet or anything, but it, honestly, to me, it looks like it's probably going to be returned for a touchdown. Just, uh, just throw it back to Tennessee. And it's basically the exact same scenario, except instead of being blown down, he's blown that his progress was, was stopped. And listen, I've gone oh, back and watched okay. that play. I've gone back and watched that play over and over again. Darren Fells has the ball, turns upfield or tries to turn upfield. And I mean, he is met by a couple of, of Buccaneers linebackers and he has stopped in his tracks. The dude's feet haven't even stopped moving yet from getting impacted when this ref blows the play dead. Like, I understand in the grasp and I understand for momentum being stopped, but you at least give the guy on, on both sides. You at least give the offensive player an opportunity. You never know what's going to happen, especially you look at that field. That field was choppy as hell. That's that's one of the reasons some of these other plays happen. But you give the guy an opportunity. Maybe a defender slips. You never know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? But I don't know what the what the policy is for NFL officials. But I feel like it should be like a solid three count, like three Mississippis. You know what I mean? Like ball carrier gets the ball, not quarterback. We're not talking about quarterback. Quarterbacks are completely different. Quarterback, it's a big lumbering, you know, Ndamukong Sue wrapping him up and he's still standing. Okay, you blow that whistle before Ndamukong Sue kills that dude. Got it. <laughs> but this is a tight end. This is, Darren Fells is not a small guy. I don't have his measurements in front of me, but he's not a small dude. He can take that hit, and he's already taken the hit. But to blow the whistle dead in that, in that position is just absolutely ridiculous. And as soon as the ref is blowing that whistle, like, it's not like right after the whistle was blown. You know what I mean? It's not like you can even argue that Darren heard the whistle and he just kind of let go of the ball because he's like, whatever, I'm not fighting you for this. You know what I mean? It's there. These football players are still playing football, and that ball is coming out as that whistle is blowing. Levante David picks up the ball, and you can see that in his body language. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. Again. Like, again, you guys. Uh, Rich Eisen, I can't remember the name of the official, the head official, um, the referee from the game. But at one point he even said, like, okay, and here we are back to the whatever, David Harrison show. Like, if I'm the rep, that's what it is. And here we go with our next, you know, we're back to the David Harrison show. Like, you guys are not supposed to be the stars of the show. Like, that's that's it, it's so hard for, for these guys to some, for some reason to understand this, right? And I go back to guys like Ed Hockley. And don't get me wrong, I love Ed Hockley. Like, he's one of like the few officials who makes like very little mistakes in the game when he did call the game. I know he made the really big one that he like publicly apologized for. And the NFL front office was like, no dude, don't admit you did anything wrong. And you know, whatever. But Ed Hockley with his schmedium shirt and his biceps, you know, like blood circulation getting cut off from his arms. Like it's not about you, bro. It's not about you. And if you are the star of the show, you are not doing your job. And if you're consistently not doing your job, you should be fired. Period. But they have a union. And, and I don't, I don't, I'm not an expert on unions, but how many part time jobs have unions? Like, is that really a thing? I know a lot of grocery stores are unionized and it benefits both full and part time. But outside of that, I don't, I don't know. But let's. Uh, it, it, I'm I'm glad you brought up this whole thing with with Fells because that must have been while 
Beckett and I stopped to gas up the car before we hopped on the highway. And I kept hearing Gene reference, you know, uh, a, a, a play earlier in the game where, you know, he kept taking like little, little shots at forward progress Mm -hmm. and, and mentioned that it was an unchallengeable play. And, and I had no idea what he was referring to, but he kept bringing it up. And I'm like, and I realized it and listen, for all of you out there that are, are fans of Gene Deckerhoff, I love Gene Deckerhoff. But there comes a time in every person's career where they need to hang it up. And I think Gene has reached that point because listening to that broadcast, it's the first radio call of a Bucks game I've listened to in a long time. Listening to, to that call. He gets so many things right, or so many things wrong. See, there I go. I'm, I'm <laughs> David. I quit. I'm hanging it up. No, he gets so many things wrong. Like there will be a, a play call. Yo, Winston drops back, throws the ball over the middle. It's dropped, caught, intercept, first down. Dude, make up your mind. It went from dropped to intercepted to first down in a span of about a half a second. And he did it at least a dozen times. Hmm. But anyway, I say all that to go back to this. He kept, he kept making these little remarks and I couldn't, uh, there was no context for me. So I didn't know what had happened or if he was just stuck on that, or if he was just screwing up again. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that whole play up, but yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's the same old crap. Yeah. It's the same old crap we see in every Bucks game. We see it in every other NFL game. It's not just the Bucks. And I know we like to kind of play, oh, well, of course we're not going to get that call because we're the Bucks. Every fan not base it. says that. Yeah, every fan base says that. And it's because all the officiating crews yes. are god awful. They're yes. not held accountable. I've said it before. They're not held accountable. There is no fixing them. There is no talk of fixing them. There are no strides being made to fix them. And yep. everyone knows it. I have never seen people walk in <clears throat> feeling cushier and more secure in something they fail at on a consistent basis than NFL officiating crews. And it's disgusting. It is ruining football period there yep. is no argument there is no debate there is nothing you can say to me that will prove me wrong in the fact that these unbelievably insignificant idiots are trying to take over the game and they're doing a crappy job of it and they are ruining the number one sport in our country yep like baseball is America's pastime, football is America's current time. And for a very good reason. It's a beautiful game, it's an amazing game. You know, these guys go out there and they put their necks on the line, they put their future on the line. Like a lot of these guys are gonna are gonna have lives ahead of them that are gonna have difficulties in them. And I understand they're signing up for it and they're getting paid extremely well for it, whatever. It doesn't take away from the fact these guys, what these guys are doing for, to their bodies for the sake of entertaining the American public for achieving things in athletics that people can only dream of achieving, you know, accomplishment and all this other stuff. And it's, it's amazing. 
And NFL and NFL official officials should not be standing in the way of these things. Your job is to make sure that every single player on that field has an equal opportunity to achieve the the greatness that they are seeking. Not to interfere, not to hinder, not to impact. Your job is there to ensure that everybody has a fair fight. That's it. But what they're doing is, is like the equivalent of a boxing official in the ring dropping an elbow on a dude in the middle of an eight count. And, and it's not right. And you can say it's not fair. Like, I'm going to, you know what, Anakin, we're on the same page here. It's not fair. <laughs> and it shouldn't be happening. And, and the fact that it's happening as much as it does and nothing is happening, like you said, is, is disgusting. You know, and then Bruce Arians, you know, obviously, I mean, all 32 NFL head coaches, but Bruce Arians, because this is a buck show, Bruce Arians goes up to the podium and says, I disagreed with that call. And he gave fined publicly. And not only like, is he going to get money taken out of his pocket for doing his job as a head coach and giving his analysis of the game, but they're going to do it publicly. They're just going to run along the ticker on NFL network. And it's going to say Buccaneers head coach, Bruce Arians fined X amount of dollars for criticizing officials. But people want to say, like, I've heard, like, I've seen people on a ESPN or people who work for NFL Network, whatever, talk about, well, their their consequences. Well, what are they? What are they? Every other thing in the National Football League gets dealt with in the public eye. Everything. Jim Irsay gets a DUI. Public eye. Patriots get caught videotaping Jets practices. Public eye. Got it. There's some shadiness behind the scenes. I get you. But for the most part, everything is held in the public eye. Why are the officials not being dealt with in the public eye. It's absolute garbage. If there's actual consequences, then show people what the consequences are. Show them. Because I, what I want to see is I want to see somebody do up a mashup of all the blown calls the ref, the officiating crew that calls the Super Bowl has made this season. That's what I want to see. Because if you make all the blown, if you make all the mistakes on the job on the, on the NFL playing field, that these guys do in their career, you're not going to last. You cannot tell me that this is what your intention is, that that the NFL front office, this is what you envision, this is what you want when referees step on the field. And the thing that really pissed me off was Brashad Perryman. There, There's a play late in the game. Brashad Perryman makes a catch and gets nailed, absolutely nailed. And I will tell you, that dude was seeing stars for at least a few seconds. No flag. Not a single flag. And the crowd reacted to it in the moment. They're getting ready. It was near the two-minute warning. Bruce Arians calls a timeout, and they're getting ready. You know, They're trying to scramble up and get their play and everything else like that. And in comes a referee. In comes one of the officials, runs and grabs Brashad and says, you got to leave the field. Brashad looks at him. This is all on the broadcast camera. Brashad looks at him. You can read his lips. says, no, I'm all right. He says, no, you got to go. Why do you have to go? Because you just got your bell rung, bro. Okay, we can delay the game. We can interfere with the course of the game to get a player off the field because they got hit in the head. Why is it in that same moment we don't have the ability to say laundry on the field, 15-yard penalty, clock is stopped because of the penalty, Buccaneers ball 15 yards from the spot of the foul, first down, clock starts on my whistle. Literally, it takes no more steps than what you already have in place. Because Brashad Perriman didn't get taken off the field because the officials on the field saw it. Like, I believe, like, the officials saw the play on the field, and in the moment, they're like, that's not egregious enough to warrant me throwing my hanky. 
And they were going with that. Somebody from the, there's medical personnel on the sideline. There's medical personnel upstairs in the stadium who saw it and said, stop play, get that player off the field, get him evaluated. Oh, while you're at it, flag the defender 15 yards because he just clocked that dude in the dome unnecessarily. It may have been an, an accident. I got it. But the, the heart, the soul of the rule is player safety. But what that tells me, when you stop play, and I understand it, the, the Buccaneers already called a timeout, got it. But when you stop what's happening on the field for an NFL official with a medical degree to say, hey, stop, get him off the field because he might have a concussion, but we're not going to take the next logical step of being able to assess penalties. Something, by the way, that amateur college football does today. So we don't have a feature for player safety at the pro level that they have at the amateur level, but we have a different function that's going to serve the exact same way as far as stopping gameplay and putting things on the field or making things happen on the field of play from a, from a, from an advanced uh, viewpoint. We're going to put that in place, but we're not going to put the other thing in place. You're not concerned with player safety because if you were, you would penalize that play to try to prevent it from happening in the future. What you're, what you're concerned with is covering your ass so that when Rashad Perryman retires and he can't remember the color of grapes, he can't sue you and say that you didn't do everything you could do to protect him. That's what you're worried about is covering your ass as a from a from a legit from a um, a litigation standpoint, not actually protecting your players on the field because it's such an easy, simple line to draw. Put a chair next to that dock, and when that dock stops and says that dude just got his bell rung, the person sitting next to them says, "Yeah, he did," and it was done forcibly to the head or neck area by a defender. Hey, ref, add 15 yards to the play. Done. Wipe your hands with it. Move forward. It's too simple. The fact that it's not happening is absolutely ridiculous. All right. Well, David, we still have plenty more to cover. Well, the story <laughs> is referees suck. Let's go ahead and get over to our next voicemails. Ooh, this one's going to be long, too. What's going on, guys? This is true. Uh, David, I was the guy you were interacting with Saturday while we were watching the game. I mean, for as poorly as we played, as many turnovers as we had, as many people as we had out, um, I guess it was nice to see us compete with a fairly good, you know, playoff team. Um, on to what I really want to talk about, though. I understand Jameis was injured. I don't know that we can really use that as an excuse for all the turnovers. For one, it's not like, he never turns the ball over, and it only happened when he was injured. That's the first thing. Secondly, if, you, if you're not healthy enough to play at a professional level, if you're going to play at the detriment of the team, then maybe sit this one out. I understand being competitive, but if you're doing more hurting than you are helping, then what's the point? So I just – I don't want to hear that. And then – you know, of course, everyone wants to talk about passing yards and this and that. But when we're turning the ball over the way we are with Jameis, like, what's the point? Who cares if you're elite at moving the ball 99% of the way to the end zone, but you always mess up the last 1%, resulting in no points? Then what's the point? You know what I mean? It doesn't really make sense to me. And I'm also tired of the every interception or every turnover isn't Jameis's fault excuse. Okay, every turnover isn't any quarterback's fault. You know what I mean? Every turnover that Tom Brady had isn't his fault. Every turnover that Peyton Manning had wasn't his fault. But we don't sit there and go through their interceptions to see, well, this one was on them and this one wasn't. No, we just count them. 
So I, I'm tired of that excuse too, because if we're going to do that for James, let's do it for everybody. Uh, and regardless, even once you cut down the ones that are so-called not his fault, there's still a lot of them. You know, it can't always be everybody else. I don't understand also why we can't criticize James. We can criticize offensive linemen when they do bad, when receivers mess up, when DBs mess up. When anybody messes up, we can criticize them. But with James, well, no, it was this. Well, it was that. Well, it was this. No, he messed up. Like, it is what it is. I don't know, man. Frustrated. Still proud of our bucks, man. But I don't know. I don't know if it's just a bad luck thing with Jameis or what, man. But What's up, guys? Uh, Jonathan calling from West Palm Beach. Uh, just wanted to comment on the Texans game. I know we're going to get a lot of voicemails, most likely, complaining about Jameis and the turnovers. And, yeah, that's true. He did turn over the ball a lot, but also just some perspective. And I know that a lot of fans aren't going to want to hear this. Uh, because Jameis hasn't been thrown picks uh, all year. But, I mean, the guys playing without his two best receivers who essentially create most of the offense. I know that Arians commented that, you know, he wasn't going to scale back the playbook. But, I mean, come on. Like, there's no way that playbook is fully open the entire game when we're playing with guys off the street. So, I mean, overall, you know, it was disappointing. But just some perspective, man, the guys out there with guys who signed off the street, and he's playing with a fractured thumb. So it was disappointing. Yeah, but I also think there's a lot of bright spots, including the defense and these corners who are continuing to just play really, really well. So with all that being said, actually not too negative right now. Looking forward to next season. All right, go Bucks. All right. True, Jonathan, thank you for the phone calls. And look, where to start? Jameis is going to be back. I know Bruce Arians came out and said that they're still waiting until the end of the season to evaluate and all that stuff. Ian Rappaport is saying that his sources told him that Jameis is going to be back in 2020. The question is, at what capacity? Is it going to be multi-year? Is it going to be franchise tag? Is it going to be transition tag? What's the deal going to be? Jameis will be back. I said my piece on Jameis. I like Jameis. I want him to get his act together. And this, this right here, was the perfect opportunity. You are going out there without Mike Evans and without Chris Godwin, and you have the opportunity to put the team on your back and will them to a victory over a playoff contending team, and you turn the ball over four times. As much as I like Jameis, As much as I want to see Jameis do well, this team's never winning a championship with him, ever. It's not going to happen. So, unless something, unless there is a pretty dramatic improvement in his 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 uh, ball protection and the drop in his turnovers, this team is never going to win a Super Bowl on the shoulders of Jameis Winston. I will agree with that. Um. Listen, uh, you guys all know, like, I, like in our last few episodes, like you guys have been praising me specifically on Twitter. I mean, I know, you know, uh, James, there was one of our callers who completely agreed with you and, and Joe uh, from Ocala, you know, definitely lent, lent credence to what you were saying. This game is all on Jameis. This, this is a Jameis loss. Like, if you want to look at 
games in Buccaneers history that you can say Jameis Winston lost for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this is one of them. You have to add this to the ledger. And I understand that Chris Godwin was out. I understand that Mike Evans was out. And I understand that Justin Watson stumbled on what would have been a touchdown pass. And I understand that Cameron Bray dropped a fourth down conversion. And I understand that Peyton Barber fumbled the ball. But listen, Jameis Winston threw four stinking interceptions. All right? This team, hang on. Ignore the background noise. This team, counting the final possession, which was 21 seconds of really nothing, but let's even count that one, had 14 possessions in this game. All right? Four of them were ended because Jameis Winston threw an interception. Four out of 14, which is what? Over 25%. So more than a quarter of this team's possessions in a four-quarter game were ended because of Jameis Winston. Not because of a receiver. Not because of an offensive lineman. Not because of an all-pro defensive play. Because of Jameis Winston. All right, the first interception is a late out-throw, out-route throw to Justin Watson. I don't care if that's Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or anybody. A late out-route is almost always going to be intercepted. Let's move to the fourth interception. Another late out-route to Dara Gumbawale. Again, it doesn't matter what receiver you have out there. If a quarterback throws a ball, an out route like that late, especially to the far hash across his body, it's getting intercepted, guys. That is, a, that is not a throw you can make as an NFL quarterback. You can't. When you have an out route that far and you have it on the opposite hash and you have it on the quarterback's weak hand side, that ball's got to be out before that receiver ever makes his break. Once the receiver's in the break, it's too late. You don't throw that ball unless the defender is falling. That's the only time you can throw that ball is the defender's falling. Okay. Now, maybe in a scramble drill, that out route turns into a comeback because receivers, you know, run back. Okay, got it. That's not what happened. Jameis Winston was late on both of those out routes. That's what happened. All right. The second interception. So that's number one and number four. The second interception was intended for Ishmael Hyman. All right. And it was a middle crossing route. And I didn't get to see the break point, so I can't tell you if it was a post or what. Okay. Jameis just didn't see the defender underneath the coverage. And he should have. The reason he didn't see the defender is because he was looking at Ishmael Hyman. He was looking at his receiver. Guys, we talked about this last year, that Jameis Winston has got to get better at reading defenses instead of watching receivers. Ishmael Hyman had all kinds of space on his defender, which was fantastic. But there was an underneath zone guy who was lurking in the shadows that Jameis didn't look at. All he was looking at was where his receiver was going. That's number. That's interception number two. Interception number three, I got to watch you all 22. But guys, when that ball got there, Rashad Perryman and who was it? Was it Gary and Conley? I can't remember who it was that intercepted the pass. The defender and the receiver were standing together in one place waiting for the ball to arrive, and they both went for the ball at the same time. The ball was behind Rashad Perryman. That's why the defender got it. I saw some people complaining on Twitter about, you know, Ty goes to the receiver and all that. Listen, I understand. Um, the way, honestly, the way it looked at to me is it was in the defender's hand, and then Rashad Perryman grabbed it, which means it's not a tie, it's an interception. Um, again, I'd have to get a better view of it and I want to see the all 22 to see why those, because when it happened, it was weird. Um, I watched it again. I watched it earlier today before we start recording James and I, and it was weird, weird again, both these players are standing in one spot waiting for the ball to come. And when it gets there, it's behind Rashad Perryman. That's why it's intercepted. There's not a, there's not a lot of routes, especially against man coverage where a wide receiver runs to a spot and stands there. Like, so that's why it's weird to me. So I want to know what happens. So I got to see the all 22, but either way, guys, it's either a bad throw 
or a late throw. Like if Rashad Perryman is running a route that requires that that's the end point of his route. And then James, it's late at, at best. It's late. Okay. Those four turnovers are on Jameis. And I, and again, I understand that Justin Watson fell and you know, because of it, that that pass probably would have been a touchdown, which probably could have helped the Buccaneers win in spite of the four interceptions. I got that. Peyton Barber's fumble. I don't know really how impactful it was. I mean, when he, when he fumbled the ball, uh, it was on their own 42 yard line. So, I mean, it's not like they're in scoring position when that happens, you know what I mean? Type of thing. Um, and then the final interceptions, you know, they're, they're in their own territory trying to go down and get a game winning score. But the bottom line is as a quarterback, as the main leader of this team, as a captain, right? We talked about this earlier too. Scott Reynolds came on this show and talked about the guys with C's on their chest. Your job is to be the reason the team wins in spite of, right? So if you have a C on your chest, you are why the Buccaneers won despite the fact this happened, whatever it is. The Buccaneers won because a captain did this despite the fact that Matt Gay had a field goal blocked. The Buccaneers won because of this captain doing this despite the fact that they gave up the most passing yards they've given up all year. That's the captain's role. That's the leader's role. That's Jameis Winston's role. Jameis Winston's job is to be the reason they win, not the in spite of. And over the last four or five games, he's been the reason why they could get it done. Even the game they lost, he's been the reason they could get it done. Against Houston, if they would have won, he would have been the in spite of. And you can't, you can't hide that. Like, I, like Jameis is coming back 100%. If Jameis doesn't come back, blow my mind. But as much as I think that Jameis Winston can be really great, and I really do, I think he can be really great. As much as I think Jameis Winston still hasn't reached his full potential, this game is on Jameis. Those four interceptions are on Jameis. They're not on his hand. They're not on Mike not being there. They're not on Chris being there, not being there. They're not on Justin Watson being on the field, which, by the way, Justin Watson has been with Jameis Winston his entire career. J- Justin's entire career. <laughs> All right. 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 Rashad Perryman, I mean, other than the games he missed this year, he's been there and he's a, a benefit. He's been a benefit. Um, Ishmael Hyman has been with the Buccaneers since what, October, which I know isn't the whole season. But Ishmael Hyman wasn't back in groceries last week. All right. Spencer Schnell, I don't know. I didn't see him run a route. Uh, well, uh, you got that McElroy kid that had a huge catch. Yeah, Cody McElroy. The like, Cody McElroy is the only guy that was, and he wasn't even on the streets. He was just on a different team's practice squad. Um, but I guess so. Cody McElroy is really the only guy that I can think of that Jameis Winston threw out. I don't have the game book in front of me, but. Everybody else that James was playing with, I understand they're not all pro-level, pro-level wide receivers, and, and, and I understand that. But, guys, that's not the reason these things happened. If they're the reason these things happened, then it's because Jameis Winston threw that that route later because he didn't trust that receiver to be there. Maybe there's some some benefit in that. But guess what, guys? Bruce Arians said it, Byron Leftwich said it, and Jameis even said it. It doesn't matter who's on the field. We're going to go out and execute our offense. Well, if you're not throwing your routes when you're supposed to, when you're not throwing to your routes when you're supposed to as a quarterback, you're not playing the kind of quarter, the kind of football you're supposed to be playing, period, period, all right? And it doesn't matter who's on the field, all right? You have to, if you're going to be a franchise quarterback, you have to be able to go out there and play your game within the confines of the game plan, regardless of who's on the field. So those aren't excuses. All right, when Aaron Rodgers loses Jordy Nelson, he's going to go out there. He's going to make Devontae Adams a superstar. All right, that's that's how you become a franchise-leading quarterback. 
And that's what everybody wants Jameis to be, and that's what Jameis wants to be. So if that's what he's going to be and that's what he wants to be, those things have to happen. He's got another opportunity against Atlanta. And that in some ways is a bigger opportunity because this is a defense who knows him. It's a defense who knows his receivers that he's playing with, and it's a defense who knows him this year. Like we talked about before the Houston game, that this game is different. And, and these games are different in the sense that the Houston Texans, they know who Jameis Winston is. They know who, who the players are. But they don't know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this scheme. The Atlanta Falcons have seen Jameis Winston plenty of times, and now they've seen Jameis Winston already in this scheme. So Jameis Winston has another opportunity to go out with Rashad Perryman, Justin Watson, Ishmael Hyman, Cody McElroy, Cam Bray, O.J. Howard, all these guys, against a defense that knows him better than the one he just faced and show that he's learned from this experience. But you cannot, 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 if you're, if you're going to claim that you're a person who sees this thing honestly and objectively, sit here and say that these four interceptions by Jameis Winston don't matter and they weren't his fault or whatever because they absolutely were his fault. They absolutely matter. Absolutely they matter. Yeah. And as far as not criticizing him, um, I don't know. Maybe that's Facebook groups. Y'all can criticize whoever you want on this show. Just PG and you know try to keep it within like a minute or so. I let True go there. He actually hit he hit the end of the recording. Like the 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 voicemail cut him off because he talked for so long. But did you hear it in his voice, James? Like True needed to get that off his chest. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. So and I, we so appreciate it being you know, uh, uh, appropriately worded enough that we could play right. it, play it on the air. And and look, David, you're right. These interceptions absolutely do matter. If you, you know, I might give a sliver and I mean a sliver, 1% of the blame of Mike and Chris not being out there, because as you pointed out, when you're doing timing routes with guys who aren't the ones normally running those routes, it's going to create some doubt in your mind. You're not going to have the same rapport. So he's he's going to be forcing things to players that he shouldn't or wouldn't normally be forcing things to. But again, that leads into he needs to make smarter decisions. Jameis Winston is about to become the first player in NFL history to pass for over 5,000 yards and have more than 20 interceptions in that season. Yep. And you know, it's funny. I actually saw, I can't remember who it was. There was somebody on Twitter earlier today and I was scrolling through and they're, they're a blue check mark guy and they're talking and, they, and it's funny because they're like, maybe Brett Favre really wasn't everything that everybody makes him out to be considering the circumstances he had around his one Super Bowl win. And I'm like, thanks for listening to the show, buddy. Right. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't, but you know, it, it was just kind of funny to me. But as far oh, I agree. But as far as like, does this change Jameis's status? I don't believe it does in any way, shape, or form. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Jameis is coming back next year because yeah. David, as you said over and over again, and and I mean, I'm not giving you credit for coming up with it because you know it's been a saying for a long time. It's better to dance with the devil you do than the devil you, or it's better to dance with the devil you know than the devil you don't. See, that's uh, not why I even want him to come back. <laughs> but but that's what they're looking at. I who again, something else that we've talked about before, who are you going to replace him with? Name a better option. There isn't there, one. There isn't one. No. Um honestly, so t- at this point, right? So like I'm I'm one of the first at least, you know, 
I noticed that you know Buccaneers fans start talking about it more. I don't you know I don't know who all listens to us and who doesn't, but I'm one of the first. We're one of the first to bring up Teddy Bridgewater, and I still I still am a big fan of Teddy Bridgewater. But you know who actually could execute in this system pretty stinking well? Philip Rivers, Matt Stafford. Oh, stop it. Anyway, that's a totally different conversation. It doesn't change Jameis' status, and the, and the reason is because of classical conditioning. Because when you condition anybody to do a task and, and you're trying to condition somebody, especially a learned behavior into a different learned behavior, you're going to have what's called spontaneous recovery. And if you know things about classical conditioning or, or there's a, basically conditioning training, if you know about training then you understand what I'm talking about. And basically at, at, at a given point, somebody or an entity or, or an object, whatever you want to call it, is being trained is going to eventually at some point revert back to old habits. It's just part of the natural progression of things. The key thing is, you have this growth and then you kind of have this slide back to the old habit. When the slide happens, the most important thing is what happens next. And if what happens next is further growth, then you're still on track. If what happens next is continued regression, then you might have a problem. Here's the issue. The Buccaneers only have one week to find out if Jameis is going to grow from this or regress from this. And you can't figure that out in one week. Like I know from a simplistic standpoint, we would like to say when well, week 16, he threw four interceptions in week 17, he only threw one and he threw four touchdowns. So that means that was a fluke. Not necessarily in the, in the way that long-term training goes, that's not necessarily the fact, which is another thing we talked about with this, you know, the, the, the four game win streak and the five out of six wins. Even that isn't a representation of, okay, now he's got it. You can't say after playing five games, okay, he's got it. That's not that's not even how this works. It takes you have to have a much larger sample size to figure this out. The Buccaneers are going to bring back Jameis Winston because they see what he's capable of, and they're going to bring him back in spite of what he's capable of on the dark side, if you want to call it that. To try to see if they can Star Wars references out of you. I'm so (laughs) proud. To see if they can tap into the energy that he gets, that he taps into when he does these positives. And you can't do that one week after this. You can't. It's just not possible. So, honestly, if they get if they move on from him, they were going to move on from him before Houston. I'm, I will be I will be convinced of that, that they had decided to move on from him before Houston. That basically they looked at it from from their eyes as the four the four game win streak and the five out of six was not because of Jameis. It was in spite of Jameis all along, even though those on the outside looking at the stats and, the, and what's happening just on the game field will say it was also partially become, because of Jameis. We, what we don't see is the meeting rooms, the game planning, the conversations with coaches, the leadership in the locker room. All right. Well, David, we have run super, super long, and I know we still have one more voicemail. So let's go ahead and get that before we uh, send these fine folks on their way. Hey guys, uh, this is Justin from Hopewell, New Jersey. I think James called me the mystery man from Jersey last time I called in. Had a couple, uh, too many adult beverages last time I called in, so that's why I didn't give an educated call in. But my thoughts on this, tough loss, tough loss. But um, I think the defense is stepping up, they're looking good. Jameis can throw three interceptions but still try to come back and win the game. Uh, one question I guys, I guys had is if you gave if if they gave Jameis his contract, 
why not franchise JPP or Sue? Because I want this front seven back next year. I don't know. That was just my thoughts on it. Tough loss again. Um, you guys are awesome. I love I love the show. Always listen to it every time you have one come out. Um, but go Bucks. Tough one, guys. See you when I see you. Go Bucks. All right, Joe, thank you very much for the call. And you know what? I could use a few adult beverages of my own right now. Um, okay. Here's the thing about the franchise tag. Um, I don't <clears throat> I don't currently know the dollar values of what it would cost to franchise JPP or Sue. So I can give you that. Okay, good. Thank you. So the two, these are 2019 numbers. They have not set 2020 numbers. That'll happen, I think, March sometime. Um, but for 2019, defensive end franchise tag number, which would be Sue, is $17.128 million. Um, typically, they rise at a, at a rate of about 500000 per year. So you're looking at a little over 17 and a half if they franchise tag them next year. JPP should come in as a linebacker which is $15.443 million for 2019, which again, about a half a million rise. You're looking at about 16 million. Okay. That's franchise tag. Transition is a little bit less, but not even it's, it's like two or 3 million less. So no, the Buccaneers are not going to franchise either of those guys. And I'll tell you why. Number one, that's basically double what you're paying in Dominican Sue right now. He is not worth 17 million dollars worth of cap hit number two they restructured jpp's contract to get out from paying him what was it for next year david what at 13 and a half million that he was owed in 2020 yeah originally and now and now he's a free agent he's a he he he's a 10.75 million dollar cap hit for this year and as a free agent next year Right. So if you weren't going to pay JPP 13 and a half million to stay in 2020, you're not going to franchise him and pay him 15 million to come back next season. The only players I think that are in the running for the franchise tag are Jameis Winston or Shaq Barrett. I could I could uh, justify franchise tagging Shaq Barrett. He gave you. $15 million worth of production. Yeah. You expect that to continue. He is a young pass rushing outside Hungry. linebacker entering the prime of his career. Hungry. He is unfortunately no longer the NFL's sack leader. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who took it over, but somebody had three sacks on Sunday and now has 18 on the season. He's uh, my sack leader. He's all of our sack leader. Um, so yeah, franchise tagging or transition tagging sewer JPP will not happen. No. I think JPP is more likely of the two to return. I think he feels that there's something special going on. I think he enjoys the role that he has now established upon himself as one of the outspoken leaders of the locker room and on the sidelines. I wouldn't mind Sue coming back if it's a comparable contract to what he got this year. I think I would rather see them draft his long-term replacement and the long-term partner of Vita Vea along the defensive line. But if you're going to have to replace DeMar Dotson at right tackle, 
there's a good chance the Bucks will be in a good spot in the first round to draft the best or maybe second best right tackle. Um, and, and they would probably have to take advantage of that. So if you can get Sue back on another, maybe two year deal, give yourself a little wiggle room to find his long-term replacement, give him all his guaranteed money in the first year so that you can move on. If you're in a position to draft his replacement the following season, um, that's more likely the route they're going to go. Uh, if you're franchise tagging Jameis, he's going to take about a third of your available cap room. That's not what you want out of this. Uh, working out maybe a three to four year deal with Jameis, taking a little bit less money, saying, look, you know, we appreciate all the great things you've done. You set franchise records for yards and touchdowns, but also interceptions. It hasn't been pretty. Why don't we do this? not transition tag, but more of a transition contract. Let's see if you can continue to to straighten things out, and then you can get your big-time quarterback payday and just imagine what those three to four years from now. So I would like to see the front seven stay intact as well, but it's not going to happen while utilizing a franchise tag on on Jason Pierre-Paul or Indomitian Sue. No, yeah, exactly. You said it perfectly. Neither of them are getting tagged either way. Um, yeah, as far as as far as Shaq and Jameis, uh, I feel like I had this conversation recently. I don't know. Um, I feel like Jameis is if if both those guys are getting tagged, then I feel like Shaq is getting the franchise tag because you're going to lock him down. You're not going to let him negotiate with other teams. You're going to keep him in the building. And you're in franchise tag. I mean, and they're not going to franchise tag him until the last minute, you know, uh, and, and, you know, work on a long-term deal and, and all that stuff. Um, Jameis, uh, as, as counterintuitive as it almost seems, really, I feel like Jameis is, is a good candidate for a transition tag because it gives him the opportunity. So it, 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 it pins him down about as much as you want it to. Like he's – the Buccaneers have all the control. But what it also does is it allows James Winston to go out and negotiate with other teams and find a team that wants to pay him whatever X amount of money. And if Jameis agrees to that amount of money, the Buccaneers then have the opportunity to match. And if they choose to match, then negotiations are over. Jameis signs on the dotted line. He's a Buccaneer for whatever contract terms he agreed to. If they don't match, then he becomes you know a player of that other team. And essentially what it does for the Buccaneers, again, it kind of gives you the opportunity. You kind of set the market. And you say, okay, here's what we believe. We want to pay you, Jameis, for X amount of years. What do you think? And if he doesn't, if he doesn't see eye to eye, it for, it allows you the opportunity to not necessarily bid against yourself. You're not negotiating against yourself. Basically, I'm saying, hey, look, dude, that's great. We here's what we think, and here's why we think you should take it. By all means, go out there in the open world. It, it's like NFL Rumspringa. Go out there and see what the what the rest of the of the world has for you has to offer to you. Once you find something you like, let us know, except in this version of things, we have the option and we have the opportunity to say, okay, that's great that, I don't know, the Los Angeles Chargers were willing to pay you that much. We're going to match it. Get your butt back to Tampa and get ready for the 2020 season. You know what I mean? So it's kind of the best of, best of both worlds. The only downside of that, I would say, is I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that if they transition tag Jameis, he gets an agreement with another team and they don't match it, that they also forfeit any compensatory considerations for losing him because essentially it's, it was their choice to lose him. Um, I'm not sure hundred percent 
So don't quote me on it, but that, that feels like that's the right answer. So that's really kind of where I think we're going to go with that uh, moving into the offseason. Either that or, you know, you're going to see the Buccaneers slap the franchise tag on Jameis and tell him he's playing that year under the franchise tag and that's going to be it. And then with Shaq, they're just going to work their butts off to get him uh, pinned down for a multi-year deal. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got to say about that. Well, and David, I think that's pretty much all we have to say about anything on this episode because it is a long one. So thank you to all of you who have stuck with us through this entire episode. Again, we know it was a long one, but we're not going to bring you five episodes this week. Again, it's Christmas. David and I have family stuff that we would like to be able to do and not take uh, as much time away from them as we normally do uh, during the holidays. So we appreciate all of you. Please make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, at Bucks underscore Nation. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Sorry, it's not our fifth consecutive Victory Monday episode, but you know what? The season turned in a real quick hurry, and there's exciting things on the horizon for the Buccaneers. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day, and thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. One step forward and two steps back.